It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to UFO Chronicles. I'm Dorothy. I'm <laughs> Dita. I was going to say the d- double D divination. The double D from... divination. That'll be us. So, how are you tonight, Trita? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank. I'm really good, actually. Um, much going on up there for you, UFO wise. Mm. We haven't shot any down yet, lately. <laughs> That's right. We haven't pretended to shoot down UFOs lately. So, right? so <laughs> it's like what a pack of wankers. So one of the the things we were talking about, <laughs> I had to. Yeah, the last couple of weeks we we started with the crash itself, the incident itself. Then we moved on to the military stance and the information they were giving out. So spoiler alert: you might want to go back and listen to part one or two and two if you haven't so far yet. Uh, we moved into witness accounts, and then of course towards the end of last week's show, we moved to the aliens themselves, which isn't. Don't you find it interesting that that's the part that people struggle to 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 get their head around, right? The aliens themselves. 
I know, but why? What is it so interesting? It's like, it's really... I cannot believe in this day and age people still don't believe in them. Well, forget the believing bit. It's like, it's, I find it just uh, quite an interesting thing that, uh, you know, if you talk about there's maybe alien spaceships flying around, people are like, oh, you know, I believe that and aliens do exist and all the rest of it. And as soon as you say they got some here on Earth, they're like, nah, that's just rubbish. You know what I mean? It's that's like, right. They don't believe they a, exist in our, in our own planet. In our own planet or that it could be. Even if, even if Roswell did happen, uh, they'll, they'll go all the way to the we saw little bodies and then they get all a bit a, a bit fractious about it. So, what do you think causes that attitude, though? You know, there's got to be something behind that attitude. Um, I think controversy. I don't okay. think they are ready to live among them, or they don't think they are living around, among us. We should say because we can. We are no, not. We, they would be the ones visiting us because we're not able to visit where they are apparently. Well, these are thought. Yeah, they have the, they have the technology we do not, and I think maybe that fear, and that's because they're more powerful than humans, and our governments have no control whatsoever over them. I feel like this is where the problem is. It, 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 and the denial. Well, denial is is for sure because as soon as you start um, talking, I I do think that there was like a fake video put out there I did have a look at it and I honestly in my own mind thought I don't believe this video I don't believe that this is a true representation so why would anybody do that except either to make money on the falsehood or to make it look foolish do you know what I mean to make it look stupid to make it uh, look like something that people couldn't possibly believe because it looks too ridiculous. Um, we've got a consistency about small people so they can't be living amongst us as such and look completely different to us that wouldn't work they'd have to look similar to us so there's there's, okay. there's a few questions in uh in the dynamic um there would we, we would be talking i think we finished last week uh with montoya who confided to close associates that he had seen four little men please note the word men too short because that's kind of for um that's um, that would be my height we would just nose to nose i'm just saying you know what what are we talking about here um they if, if, are we talking four feet tall are we talking you know what are we talking about exactly right it's not giving measurements now really, he said or, quote yeah. unquote they were skinny with big eyes so in the little video that i'm talking about the little documentary which a docudrama call it what you like they showed them was like pop bellies and, and the, the shapes were weird and the the question becomes, you know, they're not quite believable. I would be more accepting of, you know, they're kind of skinny with big eyes um, that were a little bit different than they had tubby little bellies and then they had a tiny little neck and spindly little legs. Do you know there's like a, a physiological yeah, yeah. reality here? There has to be some form of symmetry, symmetry no matter what the animals are. And he said the mouth was very small or he said real small, like a knife cut across a piece of wood, which means, you know, maybe no lips or very, very thin lips. Mm. And they had larger heads. Uh, so so we've got a really detailed image. And yet when the little docudrama was done, they created these rubbery looking beings and they had these big pot bellies. And it just was a bit unbelievable. With necks that was so scrawny that they couldn't hold a big head, you know. So we've got some um, right, right. laws of physics that just didn't add up in, in the video. Uh, next he described the scene inside the hangar. Um, uh, each each of the little men, including the one that was alive, was stretched out on a table, brought over from the mess hall, and set up for that purpose. He goes on to say, I knew that one was alive because I could hear it 
moaning. So he starts off saying the little men and then he calls it it. Montoya said that it was moving with its knee bent, rocking back and forth. I mean, really specific information there. Not just okay. lying there, not talking but moaning, uh, rocking backwards and forwards. Uh, so I think that's, that's interesting. After a frantic exit from the hangar, Montoya was picked up and driven from the base by associates. This, is, this was a, a, a governmental representative, right? He was the mayor. Um, uh, Montoya would always warn that it's too dangerous to talk about. Even years later, he would continue to caution that quote unquote, the government will get you. If he's saying those kind of words, it would intimate that he was threatened in some way. One would guess. Yes, of like course. Him. Why would he, I warn people, why would yeah. you think government? Government he... has the power to do anything they want right now. Right. So in July 1947, L. Benjamin was uh, a a private first class with three three hundred and ninety air service squadron at Roosevelt Army Airfield, uh, possessing a top secret clearance. Private first class Benjamin was authorized to provide security support for the most highly classified operations of five hundred ninth Bomb Group, the first atomic bombing wing in the world. In addition to his primary job of guarding the B-29 bombers. One of his uh, secondary duties was that of the recovery specialist in which involves a grim activities associated with the aftermath of plane crashes. That's a nice thing to note, okay, when we are talking about this. So you're not going to send that guy out to a balloon falling out of the sky? No, he's going to look for one something that looks like his plane must have crashed or something like a bit more dangerous out there. What was that? On the morning of July 7, Benjamin walked back to his barracks uh, after a night of guard duty on a flight line followed by breakfast at a mass hall. Something's going on, he thought to himself as as he stood at a at attention and saluted and the playing of the national anthem, the morning flag raised, rituals at the base headquarters on the south end of the escapade. He knew that the, the base commander, Colin William Blanchard, normally held his weekly staff meetings on Tuesday morning. But not this day. Benjamin thought there was too many car, staff cars and vehicles parked at the headquarters parking lot for a regular staff meeting. Even he's surprised to his own. Well, he's, he's saying there's a change in what's going on at the base, the routine. Yeah, are so he's, he's kind of trying to see what's going on. Like, see how curious he is? It's like, what's going on? Because he has no idea what. When Benjamin finally arrived at the barracks, Word was given to my squadron to be on alert for a special duty, he said. What could that be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such was life in the 509th, the strategic air command, and the sl- and sleep after his long shift would have a re- to remain a secondary consideration. The world finally found Benjamin. Benjamin got get your gun and report to hangar P9 for guard duty. What is he guarding, Dorothy? Well, here we go. <laughs> Certainly not a, shall we say it again, not a weather balloon. So, 
<laughs> get out there and guard that weather balloon. Uh, and not a mogul, none of that. Upon arriving at the B-29 hangar to report, and by the way, this isn't conjecture because the military rescinded that particular story in 1996, just so as we understand that, that the mogul they admitted was a falsehood. Upon arriving at the B-29 hangar to report to the officer in charge, Benjamin walked into a commotion at the main entrance of the building. A number of military police were trying to restrain the very officer from whom Benjamin was supposed to get his duty instructions. The lieutenant colonel was clearly experiencing an emotional reaction to the situation at hand, which seemed to be the transfer of a number of gurneys over to the base hospital. Another officer quickly pointed to Benjamin and ordered him to complete the assignment. While in the process, something under one of the sheets covering each litter appeared to be moving, and then as each of the stretchers was loaded into the back of the waiting ambulance truck, a sheet fell away revealing the greyish, please note not grey, greyish face and swollen hairless head that clearly was not human. And and I want to point out something here, like humans that are dead tend to look grey as well, by the way, just a thought. That's right. Let's take that on board, shall we? While in the process, something under one of the sheets covering each litter appeared to be moving. And then as each of the stretchers was loaded in the back of a waiting ambulance truck, a sheet fell away revealing the greyish... Oh, sorry. The military police orders were to deliver the cargo to the base hospital emergency room, which was building 317, and remain there until relieved. Once at the medical facility, a half dozen hospital personnel in men in suits took control of one specific gurney. All eyes were on the covered arrival as they removed the sheet from the being with an oversized head which had large slanted eyes with two holes in place of a nose and a slit for a mouth. And again, we have that slit, very thin mouth. For a number of moments, all surrounding the patient just stood staring with mouths agape. It was alive as the last of the gurneys was wheeled in. Benjamin and the other military police were immediately dismissed, sent back to their squad- squadrons and sworn to secrecy. They were told quote-unquote, this never happened. How do you shove that under the rug? Like, bam. Uh, 63 years after the event, the fog of time prevents L. Benjamin from recalling the names and faces of the other men assigned to escort duty that day. They, They may well have been from the other squadrons, on the base or even from other bases brought in from outside no one and uh, what is it argumentation troops to prevent for uh, comparing notes later on interesting how they do that that's right divide like, and I, conquer a, yeah divide and conquer yeah yeah divide and conquer they did that in albania when, when we were part of that uh, it's interesting uh, i already know the tactics they have tried to kind of sabotage or well, the whole yeah. world knows now because we've already had it for other reasons recently. So, you know, we exactly. all get it now. Yeah. Right. Practice. Uh, for her part, Miss Benjamin confirms that her husband's account of his involvement in the Roswell events on of July 1947, she further states that he con- confided the story to her with the promise that she would never tell anyone else else memories of the night seeming seeing the swollen face and slanted eyes of the species remain with and haunted him to the day to this day um roy masser roy masser happened to be in the base that afternoon 
He was a civilian contractor painting part of the hospital. Working in the rear, where the loading dock area was located, he claimed to have seen the arrival of small bodies and the creatures. And the creature, apparently in, uninjured, he observed it walking and said it looked like a very slender child. Um, the military, the military, Wonder, Wonder Master, warned Master that he was never to mention what he had seen to anyone or he and his family would be in jeopardy. Master kept quiet for a number of years before relating the experience to fireman Don Dwyer. And here we've got like civilians that are on site and I think the way that they were being threatened is more interesting than anything else. You know, they're not. I know because everybody's being threatened with the same thing. Your family, your family. Well, yeah. everybody. Yeah, and, and it's know. a serious threat. That's a communist type threat, isn't it? It's like that's what they used to do to us. Yes. If you escape your country, we will deal with your family, and yeah. nobody tried to leave until yeah. they changed the law. And as soon as they changed the law that day, everybody busted in every corner of Albania into something else because yeah. everybody. When you threaten with your families. That's the one. Uh, Miriam Andrea Bush, witness of Miriam Andrea Bush, all military hospital administrators had their own secretary. In the case of Lieutenant Colonel Harold M. Warren, his, his was a 27-year-old civilian woman named Miriam Bush. Miriam was a graduate of New Mexico State College at Las Cruces, where she uh, had majored in business administration. She also had a top security job at the base hospital, but none of her pri prior experiences prepared her for what she was about to see. As she was performing routine duties at the hospital, Dr. Warren took her by the arm and quietly mentioned that she should accompany him to the examination room. Upon entering, she was immediately surprised to observe a number of bodies on gurneys in the middle of the room. At first, she thought they were children based on their size. Their skin was greyish to brown in tone, and white linens covered most of each body. But their heads were too large to be children and had large, starey eyes. All at once, one of them moved, and Miriam would never forget what she had seen that day in Roswell. Miriam Bush and her sister-in-law Pat Bush in the uh, 1980s, um, Miriam claimed to have seen the alien bodies uh, at the RAEF base hospital. Uh, while on his deathbed, uh, again, um, 1997 witness Lieutenant Colonel Magruder, a highly decorated World War II flying ace, swore to his five sons while with the War College he was assigned to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in April 1948 and allowed to briefly see the live alien at that time. He, and this is this is the next year, right, 1947, moving into 1948, mm. uh, recovered, uh, he and the others in his company were instructed that the being was recovered from the crash in Roswell just the year before. His description was similar to all the other eyewitnesses. He also emphasized that there was no question that it came from another planet. In 1989, a young local mortician, Glenn Dennis, claimed that his friend who worked as a nurse at the Roswell Army Airfield entered one of the examination rooms to discover that the doctors were bent over and examining the bodies of three creatures. As per the description of the nurse, the creatures had big bald heads, small bodies, and long arms. That is quite interesting. I like like how they describe it. Like, you know. And, then and how long later? That was in 1989, thing. right? Glenn Dennis. Yeah, that's pretty long. So, yeah. Yeah, so we have somebody. I wonder what 
you know, else is there and how many others are contained that they, we don't know about that. Dennis was working at Ballard's funeral home when he received some uh, curious calls on the afternoon from Roswell Air Force Morgue. The base mortuary office was needing small hermetical sealed coffins and uh, also wanted to know how to preserve bodies that had been exposed to elements for a few days and avoiding contamination and tissue, contaminating the, issue, the tissue, sorry. Which, Dennis which, later said... Which I think is probably one of the most telling witness accounts. We've got a person who hasn't exactly. seen them, but he's being asked to do something very unusual in his profession mm. and advise uh, unusually, yeah. Because you would assume at this point with human beings that they already know how to preserve bodies that have been killed in crimes and they still want to explore the bodies or know what happened to That's them. That's right. And so here we've got something different to that again, right? Yes, it, it describes exactly what they wanted and what they want the coffin for. So right there, it's like a really, you know, giving a lot yeah. of information. Yeah. Dennis Tether said that evening he drove to the base hospital where he saw large pieces of wreckage with strange engravings on one of the pieces sticking out of the back of a military ambulance. He entered the hospital and was, vis and was visiting with the nurses. He knew when suddenly he was threatened by military police and forced to leave. The next day, Dennis met with the nurse who told him about the bodies discovered in a wreckage and drew pictures of them on the participation, uh, prescription pad. Sorry, With a few days, she was transferred to England. Her whereabouts remain unknown. I wonder where she went. Well, you've got a couple of possibilities there. If she was being threatened, she might have voluntarily left and ask for yes. a transfer to get out of there. Um, there's clearly a lot of people on that base at that time that had enough visual access, or if they didn't see something, had enough of an understanding of strange goings on that it, it tweaked their attention, it got their attention, right? Um, at mm. that point, uh, I don't know about the military personnel, the people that were on the base, what access they would have had to newspapers or what their information would have been that they were given, because they would have been given some information, no matter what it was, obfuscation or, or whatever. But it's just an interesting array of people. And that tells you what? What do you think? <laughs> it tells you they were not prepared not not that all because that's why if they were prepared for this they would have the coffins waiting for them already <laughs> well i mean they weren't prepared for or this type of event yeah right they they would have some kind of you know what i mean like i would have a base with people who are expecting what they're getting you would have something already built underground for them there's nothing there was nothing they until were not now prepared. they're just and so all no. of the people that were normally on the air base at the time and the hospital at the time were there so they hadn't shut it down to key personnel uh, and they hadn't taken them because uh, they hadn't taken them to somewhere which was 100% military controlled either without any extra mm. personnel from the local area. I'm sure they might have built something by now to have that kind of facility but oh, I don't think I have no doubt straight after that they had their whole operation yes, tied they... up. <laughs> but they were That's definitely what... not prepared uh, this incident this incident was completely dealt with everybody else where public facilities were 
and have to deal with people and threaten nurses and threaten everybody who they come across, really. Ambulance drivers, hangar, dri- hangar like guards, military, military personnel nurses, being taken painters, away. maintenance people. Yeah. <laughs> like, just just Yeah. So, so, and, and mm. I have no doubt that at an Air Force base that all of those people were already um, had an understanding of secrecy, right? That's how it works. It was 1947. So you're talking about there would be an understanding of secrecy and reporting anything strange and da-da-da-da-da, don't tell anybody. What is it, you know, um, what, is, what was that saying? Something about big mouths cost lives or something like that you know and and so there was an understanding of it in 1947 and loose lips sink ships that's it loosely <laughs> mine was close Trita <laughs> oh, that's so funny and 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 because I'm like big mouths you know I can't make a rhyme I don't know how to make a rhyme so there's that that whole funny funny thing but you know when you're working in air, military uh spaces Secrecy and not talking about what you see, uh, except for normal day-to-day stuff, is a common occurrence. So the the fact that they felt a desire and need to threaten families is stepping way beyond anything in the normal range of you know secrecy that one would expect. Uh, again, I, I would like to say that like, if they had a, a secret military weapon or a secret military uh, plane, anything like that, they don't show everybody. They just keep that to themselves, you know. And yet, when they do tests and stuff, and they can't hide it, they've got their own videos. You know, they've got their own stuff going on, and they have to advise other countries if they're going to fly it near another right. country. They don't want their special little toy to be blown out of the sky by somebody else who doesn't know what it is. So they were totally unprepared for this, and that's where yes. you get that initial military statement to the press, which is we've secured a spaceship. And then suddenly they, well, not suddenly, it it takes them a week to withdraw that back up. And so they start with a a modicum of honesty and then they end up being, and that's why I think they had to threaten people because they'd already let the cat out of the bag themselves. That's right. And so... Then they didn't want any more witnesses coming forward. So we saw it, but it it. wasn't, we didn't see it. Exactly, exactly. Like classified information, you can't just retrieve after a while. That's it. And and that's... put it it out there and then trying to kind of put, you know, you can't put the genie back in a bottle. That's the one. And, And you've got that other side of it, the fact that they made those claims themselves. It becomes public information. They can't get rid of it everybody's already bought the newspapers you know they, they, mm. it, it's in their minds it's there and you look at the, the the threat is so significant that in 1989 and on deathbeds people are admitting what they saw I don't believe that people on their deathbeds are wanting to tell fibs I really don't I think that that's I don't think so either not gonna happen they might say nothing but I don't think they're gonna make up a story at that point the RAAF officials had given testimonials that spread of the debris was nothing beyond 200 yards. That's the official's story. Whereas the reality is that the debris of the crash had a spread of three, uh, three quarters of a mile long and around 500 feet wide. And yet, at the same time, the personnel at the RAAF remarked, they are sure weren't from Texas. <laughs> and in the same vein... They weren't from Japan, Germany, or anywhere else on Earth. This is the one issue all of the witnesses remain unanimous about, no matter who they were, no matter where they came from. The wreckage of the object that had crashed in Roswell was loaded on a B-29 fighter plane and flown to Wright Field, which later was renamed Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It seems like a great deal of effort to go for not much. Hmm. 
you know. Right. Um, what are we doing next week? Because you know what? It wasn't the only crash. It wasn't Ooh. the only oh. crash. And so apart from the crash in Rosewell, what are we doing? Yeah, there was another right. crash site in, in the area known as Plains of St. Augustine that lay west of, what is that called? Socorro. Sa- in New Mexico. A damaged metallic craft was recovered and alleged died um, Dead alien bodies were discovered as there as well. So this news was completely supposed to be Air Force uh, accounted to locals. It's interesting. It was suppressed um, because locals mm. say this happened and it didn't make it into the papers. So the first one, they were not prepared for. The second one, totally ready. Thank you. Even totally, though it was around exactly. the same time. It was around the same time. Um, so next week we will look at other crashes around the world because surely there wasn't just one. And we've got more anecdotal information from witnesses that were there at the time. We've also got some pretty inf- um, important information from other countries where when you think about this whole idea of uh, aliens wandering around our skies and never, ever crashing, um, I think that maybe we need to have another little think about that and have another little thought about what would happen, where they crashed, when they crashed, what, what, what would be the result of keeping it a secret for all of this time. If there were aliens on board in Roswell, what would be the actual benefit of hiding that fact? And if one was alive, is that, is it, are they still alive today? Exactly. What did they do with them? What is their life expectancy? Are they stuck underground somewhere forever and ever? No, but for me, I always kind of wonder what are they doing with them? What do you mean? How do they live? Why would they keep on hostage? How do they, like, what would you do with one of them? Well, they, you know, it's almost like saying we're going to keep a prisoner for life because we can. They do that now with humans. Yes, but what about them, though? Would they know that, would their kind know that one was missing? Would they come looking for it? Well, that's the part we don't know, and that makes things a bit more interesting, that's, doesn't it? But that is the part that always kind of it wonders for me. Like, you know what I mean? Are they scared somebody's going to come look? Like, you know. Well, there's, there's the, 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 that makes it more important probably to be public about it rather than try and hide it and hang on to them because, you know, who wants somebody angry coming and looking for you? That's what I, but we don't know who they are de- or how they act or anything about them, no. who has studied them. Or their level of communication, the ability to communicate That's um, right. with, other, with other craft or other, other planets even, you know, if they've got what if they have implants and they know exactly where they are who's coming with the implantations like come on they you know yeah, and well, there would be somebody important to be in a, in a ship think about that if there is one ship missing say remember when a plane goes missing on earth how everybody gets alerted what about their their kind of you know well exactly you would expect that they would know that a craft has has crashed or that it's disappeared. I'm sure. I'm sure they know because yeah. I think we're they're more more advanced than us. Well, even without that, you know, if, if it's flying and then it disappears, you know, something horrible happened to it, right? Even if you don't exactly. know what exactly or where, um, depending on their ability to track their own craft, they may know exactly where they crashed all, all that time ago, and maybe that is even an explanation for greater levels of activity over time. Um, and, right. and and so on. And then it becomes a question of, okay, so why these sudden crashes in these locations? You know, what happened in America specifically? Well, let's, uh, like I said, we'll be looking at other countries and we'll have a look at a couple of incidences next week that I think are really worth a look. Okay, that's us for this week for UFO, UFO Chronicles. Ciao for now. See you, Drita. Thank you. See you, Dorothy. Thanks, everybody.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.